Our great God in heaven, as we have already prayed, we ask that you would uh, turn your face to us, shine your face upon us. May the warmth of your grace uh, blast away that fog and coldness we often find in our hearts. Uh, please, would you speak to us as we look at your word? Please show us Jesus. Amen. Okay. You have no authority here, Jackie Weaver. Um, I don't know if you've seen the clip from Hanforth Parish Council meeting. Um, it was um, uh, a meeting when temperatures were flaring. It got pretty ugly, quite entertaining. Um, but it does show uh, that it is important to know who is in control, who has authority, who has authority here. It's a good question, isn't it? Who has authority here in our hearts? Who has authority over our lives? You see, last week in Matthew's Gospel, we saw Jesus ride into Jerusalem and present himself to the city as the king. Here is your king. It's a claim to authority. In fact, in many ways, the whole of Jesus' mission is about authority. His message is the message of the kingdom. And kingdom means authority. In Matthew's Gospel, the, the climax to his Gospel, the last thing he records, the last words of Jesus, Jesus says... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, this king, this King Jesus, he's no parochial ruler. His kingdom is everlasting and his dominion is supreme. The Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Now, the whole of existence issues from the power of this king. Every atom in the universe is upheld every moment by the command of this king. All the times, all the seasons, all the powers, all the dominions, everything is under him. Christ, the king, has all authority. And that is why Jesus' interaction with these religious leaders is so troubling for me. And maybe is for you too. You see, authority has always been an issue for humanity. Back in the Garden of Eden, uh, the issue was authority. God commanded and Adam refused to obey. He did not recognize the authority of his maker. And that resistance to authority runs in our blood. Christ is Lord of all. We've, we've sung about the great ruling power of Christ uh, this morning. Uh, he is Lord of all. We say it and we sing it. And yet so often what we mean is Christ is Lord over some parts of my life. But I'm going to decide everything else. We say Christ is king, he is Lord, and yet even over the parts of my life where I recognise that, I do like to claim a kind of controlling interest over what happens. Christ is Lord, he is the king, uh, but he's the kind of king I like to have as a kind of silent partner. He can sit there in the background, but really at the end of the day, I make the decisions and I do what I want. Now, the passage we have this morning, uh, we have a question about authority in verses 23 to 27, and then a story about authority in verses 28 to 32. Let's have a look. First of all, there is a question about authority. Jesus is in the temple. That's where this happens. And the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him and they asked the question, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Or what are these things? Well, probably what we saw last week. 
Jesus rides into the city claiming to be king. He goes into the temple, he clears out the market traders, he, he, he heals the blind and the lame, and, and he, um, he, he, stop, he doesn't stop the children crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. These are these things. Who does he think he is? This is happening in the temple. Who gave this Jesus jurisdiction in the temple? No, the, the chief priest, last time the chief priest looked, that was their place of authority. They were in charge in the temple. They had authority in the temple. And they haven't given Jesus uh, any authority. Where does he get it from? Who does he think he is? Well, Jesus very quickly turns the question back to them. Who do you think I am? He is asking. But he doesn't avoid the question. Uh, what he does is he shows that they are not willing to accept the answer. You see what he says? I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? John's baptism. John came preaching that the kingdom was near. That He came preaching that that authoritative rule of God was about to break in finally and decisively on earth. And if you're going to be part of this kingdom, John said, then people must confess their sin, turn from their wickedness, repent. And John marked it out with baptism. John said to them, I'm getting you ready. I'm getting you ready for the king because the king is going to come. And he's greater than I, said John. In fact, John said he is God himself coming in judgment. He's going to throw down all rebellion. Uh, that rebellion that has lived in the human heart since Eden, he's going to come and rule. The king is coming, said John. Get ready. So now in our passage, Jesus says to these religious leaders, but what was that about? And what, what, what was John doing? Was John just a crazy man? Did he make it up? Or was it really the inbreaking of heaven on earth? So what do they do? They have a little huddle to discuss it. Why do they do that? Now, what, why did, what, what do they need to go and talk about? John the Baptist was a big deal. Everyone was talking about John the Baptist. They've been doing it for a few years. Um, everybody was clear on what they thought about John. They'd already answered the question that Jesus was asking. Why were they discussing the answer? Well, the reason becomes clear, doesn't it? They're not talking about the answer to John's question, to Jesus' question. They're not talking about what they thought about John's baptism. They're, they're discussing implications of different answers. Uh, they try and work it through. If we say from heaven... He'll ask, why didn't you believe him? If we say of human origin, we're afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So what do they say? We don't know. That is a lie. It is false. It is very false. And yet it is a very common way of avoiding the authority of Jesus. We don't know, they say. We don't know. Yes, you do know. That They know what they think, but they're hiding behind the, the pretense of ignorance because they're not willing to face up to the implications. We don't know is not a good answer this time. And Jesus isn't done with it. He moves from this question about authority to tell a story about it. In verses 28 to 32, he immediately launches in. There's no break. He says, what do you think? There's almost a sense of, what are you thinking no, do they think they can hide behind their words? Do they think they can, 
kind of demand that Jesus reveals his authority and then not face up to the reality of what they've asked? What are they thinking? Jesus asks us, tells this story. What do you think? He says, there's a man, he's a father, he's got two children. It's a story about authority. Now, back in that culture, the relationship between a father and his sons was fundamentally about authority. The father has jurisdiction over his sons. The premise of the story is very simple. The father tells his sons to go and work today in the vineyard. And the issue of the story is Jesus asks at the end, verse 31, he asks the religious leaders, which of the two did what his father wanted? Well, the first son, his response in verse 29, I will not. He does not want to go. Uh, notice that Jesus immediately puts this story of authority um, on, this, on the terms of whose will is done. Which of the two did the will of the father? That's the question. The first son does not will to go, but later he changes his mind. Later he goes. Uh, see, th this first son, in the end, this first son is saying, not my will, but yours, father. And then we have the second son. What does he say? Verse 30. I will, sir, he says. <clears throat> he says he wants to go. But he doesn't go. Now, why doesn't he go? He says he wants to go. Why doesn't he go? Well, because despite his words, in the end, really what his attitude is, not your will, father, but mine. And it's ironic, really. Now, this son is in a sense, refusing to be a son by rejecting the will of his father. You see, <clears throat> Jesus is not going to let this question about his authority be just a kind of interesting subject to talk about. He wants to show that authority is about whose will is done. It is about, about whose will is done more than what people claim for themselves. And when we look at these two sons, this first son has an honesty in his response. He is not willing. He doesn't want to go. And he admits it, even to his father. That is shocking. Shocking that he does that. You know, there are some um, scribes who, 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 talking about this passage, think um, that actually um, the first son is the one in the wrong because of what he says to his father. That it's almost it's better to lie to your father rather than to actually say those words. I think they're wrong about that. But it's such an offense to say that to his father, but he admits it. And I wonder then, perhaps it's in the admitting of it that he sees the folly. You see, if he is a son, then he will submit to his father regardless of what he himself wants. The second son's not like that. He's not, he will not admit that he is not willing. And that really undoes him. The question of authority is not about who seems to say the right thing. It's not about who has the tightest theological statement. The question is, who does the will of the Father? And then Jesus pulls it together. He explains the two sons in the story as two groups of people. The first son, he calls the first son the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Now, the religious leaders who Jesus is talking to are going to hear those descriptions and they're going to think, scum. 
Now, they're going to think these are the lowest of the low. This group are morally bankrupt. They are outright sinners. They are undeniably lost. This is a group of people who follow their own way. These are a group of people defined, labelled by their sin. Now, these are a group of people who have deliberately, repeatedly refused to obey God. They've said to God, we do not want your will to be done. We will do it our way. Now, in the story, we'll see a bit more of this next time, but being told to work in the vineyard echoes a kind of Bible imagery about producing fruit, following the good ways of God to produce good in the world. The first son says to his father, I will not, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. And yet then what Jesus says is, these are the people who listen to John the Baptist. John came, Jesus says, he showed the way of righteousness. What was the way of righteousness? Confess your sins, repent from, repent from your sin, turn from them, produce fruit in keeping with repentance so you're ready to receive the king. And these first son people believed John. They repented. In the end, these first son people said, not my will, but yours. And they showed themselves to be true children. And Jesus says, these are those who belong to the kingdom of God. And then we come to the second son. Who are the second son people? Well, Jesus says these are the very ones he is talking to, these religious leaders. Now, they, they are very religious. These are, are those who claim to obey God. They say the right thing. The, the second son says to his father, I will, sir. An outward show of the right words, but they do not obey. And Jesus says, John came to you. He came to you. He showed you the way of righteousness. You even saw transformation in the lives of those who repented of their sin, but you did not repent. In the end, they said, not your will, but mine. And they're not ready to receive the king. And by that, they show that they are not true children. By that, tragically, they have no place in the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus said earlier in Matthew's gospel, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who, who has these nice professions of faith will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Words are not enough. Great religious experiences are not enough. And many will have these. Many will be seen to do lots of religious good. And yet Jesus says they are refusing the will of the Father. Their words are empty and Jesus will see through their hypocrisy. And on that last day, utter those dreadful words. I never knew you. What about us? You have no authority here, Jackie Weaver. It's fun, isn't it, to look at others? isn't it? In our passage, it's easy to distance ourselves from the religious leaders, and yet we mustn't be so quick. We need to ask who has authority here in our hearts and over our lives. 
Uh, this passage cautions us to look at our hearts, warns us against the second son type response. See, Christ is Lord. Christ has all authority. And, uh, and we can say the right thing. Maybe we can even tell ourselves that we are submitting to Christ. And yet, and yet, even then in our heart of hearts, when push comes to shove, our actions betray us. And what really rules in our hearts is not God's will, but mine. I do what I want. Uh, so let's just try to, um, to work that through. Um, let's work through a couple of ways that we might come to know our hearts better in this. No, 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 first, let's just think for a moment about what happens when we don't like what the Bible teaches about something. What happens when we don't like what the Bible teaches about something? Uh, the Bible is clear on, on, on many things that we find very difficult. Uh, usually we find them difficult because they cut against the grain of our culture. Uh, I'll give you some examples. Uh, marriage is a, is a touchstone, isn't it? Um, the Bible says marriage is between one man and one woman for life, and it's the only place for sexual intimacy. So it's an, it's an issue. Uh, gender issues. More theological things. Predestination. Abortion, the role of women, the reality of hell and judgment. We could list lots of things we read in the Bible that we find difficult. They can be hard issues for us. Issues made harder by the attitude of the world in which we live. See, these religious leaders, I don't know if you noticed, but they wouldn't answer Jesus' question because they were afraid of the people. Now, what does that mean? It's a question of authority, isn't it? When they refuse to consider the authority of Jesus, they are subject to the fear of what others think about them. And, and on issues that the Bible is very clear, Christians can become a little fuggy. And we start, I guess, sounding like these religious leaders. When these issues come, we say, we don't know. We can hide behind the pretense of ignorance because we're not willing to face up to the implications. And yes, of course, we must listen carefully to others. Of course, we must seek to understand as best we can what the Bible says. But we must not miss that in our hearts, it so often is a question of authority. And when a Christian says, I am committed to Christ, but I'm not willing to accept what the Bible teaches, it sounds very much like the second son. The second son who was not really a son, who said, not God's will, but mine. And what happens when we don't like what the Bible teaches about something? We need to look carefully into our hearts. And what then, to think about a slightly different thing, then what about when, when, when we don't like what the Bible is telling us to do? <clears throat> now, this is, is maybe a much more everyday thing. It hits us every day. I'm going to take a really simple example. Uh, imagine Bill. Um, Bill. Bill comes to church. Um, and um, in a, I was going to say after church, you, you can't talk after church, can you? Um, in a kind of post-church Zoom, Zoom chat, you, you're there talking to Bill. Bill, <clears throat> you say, how was your week? And he says, oh, it's, it's okay, you know, it's a bit busy. I did a bit of this, did a bit of that. So you say, oh, Bill, what did you read in your Bible this week? And he says, oh, you know, I didn't quite get round to opening my Bible this week. Does that sound surprising? I hope it doesn't. It probably sounds fairly usual. I'm just taking it as an example. We, we could substitute lots of other things into this example, couldn't we? Lots of things the Bible tells us to do. We are to pray. 
We are to seek to do good to others in real practical ways. We are to encourage others. We are to forgive others. We're to love our enemies. We're to pray for those who persecute us. We're to meet together. We're to give financially. Lots of things the Bible tells us. Lots of things the Bible tells us we shouldn't do. We shouldn't lie or steal or lust or hate or cover or waste our time. We could list lots of things, couldn't we? The Bible says we should and shouldn't do. But we're just going to stick with Bill and this example of his unopened Bible. Now, I know that in reality, in that conversation, we're going to be very kind and we're going to be very gentle. But what's going on in his heart? And what's going on in Bill's heart? Bill, what is going on in your heart? Did you not open your Bible because Christ commanded you not to open your Bible? Of course not. It's silly, isn't it? No, Bill's probably going to give us a load of good reasons why he didn't open his Bible. I wasn't able to manage my time. Uh, there were things that came up. I, I was tired. I was, I was poorly. I, I got distracted. A work was this and, and, and family was that. And we, we know all the reasons because we own all the reasons, don't we? And yet still the question stands, Bill, under whose authority were you acting as you did this? It wasn't God's will, was it, Bill? It was yours. Isn't that what is happening in your heart, Bill? Weren't there lots of things that you did this week that you wanted to do? But what about what God wanted for you, Bill? Wasn't your heart saying, really saying, Bill? You're saying to God, you have no authority here because I'm going to do it on my terms. And I'm going to obey when it suits me because really I am in charge in here. And as I say that, maybe it sounds a bit harsh. Maybe. Questions about authority can be pretty harsh. Questions about who is in control. No, to whom do we give the kind of keys of the car and we say, you can drive. You can drive how you like, you can drive where you like, and I'm going to sit in the back and follow. Now, who do we do that to? It's hard. But, but let's not miss then how our passage helps people who struggle with authority. And, and if I've not made it clear, or you've not kept up, um, I'm speaking to all of us at this point. We all struggle with authority. We all struggle to submit to Christ's authority in our lives. So how does this passage help us? Let's go back to the first son. Uh, this first son who is confronted with the authority of his father, he gets a command, go today, work in the vineyard. And what does he say? I will not. Uh, in many ways, it's a better answer than the first son. The first son deludes himself about the state of his heart, but the, the second son deludes himself about the state of his heart, but the first son has an honesty, an, an honesty to admit that he resists his father's authority. <clears throat> the tax collectors and the prostitutes confess their sin. And that, that's, that's where we have to start, isn't it? I will not. And then this first son said it to his father. And that, 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 that's why there's something of a confession, the beginnings of a confession. He doesn't hide it away. He, he speaks it out. And we need to ask, will we do that? Will we speak honestly in our hearts to God? I tell him what's going on. It won't be nice to do that. No, it, if we tell him that, that actually the, the reality is so often we just don't want him to be in charge. So often we, we just don't really want him to be our God. We, we don't really want Christ to be king. Actually, we want to do what we want to do. We need to speak that out, say that to God. And as we do it, as we confess it, 
ask ourselves, is that really what I want? Now, is it really that I want my will to be done? Because I know that in this moment of my life, I'm grasping for my will to be done. But when I step back, would I really want to trust eternity into these hands? So we repent. We change our minds. We seek to act out our repentance. When God says go, we go. When God says do, we do. The first son, in the end, the first son says, not my will, but yours, Father. And in that, he proves himself to be a true son. And as he does that, he becomes a shadow of the true son. You see, it's not many days after these things that this Jesus, this great King Jesus, is not on a throne, but he is on the ground. He's alone and he's weeping. And why is he there? It's because this King Jesus is the gentle king. You see, for sinners like us, for for sinners like us to find forgiveness when we confess, for for the scum of the earth, like these tax collectors, And and like this preacher, maybe like you, for us, people like us, to get into the kingdom of God, to get to life in paradise that we were made for and we long for, holding us away from entrance to that kingdom is the whole of our history. All of our rebellion laid out. Our sin shuts us out. And there is a cup of God's anger that our sin deserves. It's an anger that is so fierce that our souls could not survive if it was poured out. And so for us to enter the kingdom of God, then the king, the gentle king, came to drink the cup for us. And the prospect caused his holy heart to break. And so he prayed to his father in the garden, weeping on the ground. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. He is the true son. See, whenever we, whenever we give ourselves in honest confession and tell God, I do not will. Even in those words, there is a remembrance of our gentle king who said the same, who said the same for us. He said, yet not as I will, but as you will, Father. And by that supreme obedience, he drank the cup And he took our place and he won for us free forgiveness and entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And before the flood of love, of his love and his grace, all of our petty resistance to his will is shown to be petty indeed. Our Lord Jesus, our great gentle king said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we say in response, not my will but yours. Let's pray. Our great God in heaven, our hearts are are hard in many ways. We so often do what we want before we wonder what you would want for us to do. So often we do our will and we push you away. Lord, please have mercy on us. Please remember our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, the great King, the gentle King. Uh, May we remember him too. And would you train our hearts uh, to turn and to say, not my will, 
به یوسف آمد. آمین.